All righty, let's jump into our teaching time. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to continue our study in following Jesus, and we're going to continue looking uh, at the Beatitudes. My sermon is actually outlined to do four. Uh, the next four Beatitudes, I got through three of them in the first service. Um, that Chances are that's what will happen in this service as well. And if that's the case, we'll pick the rest up later on. Uh, on the 29th of May, which was a Wednesday, I was flying back, Cindy and I were flying back to St. Louis uh, after a long weekend away. That also happened to be the day of the second game of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And so I was trying with all of my might not to learn or know anything about the score uh, at all because I was recording it at home. And I wanted to be able to watch it not knowing what, I wanted to watch it the way it's supposed to be watched, not knowing what the score was. And our flight was supposed to land at 7.30, be home about 8.30, get my popcorn out, hit play and watch it without knowing anything. But when you're in an airport, a busy airport, it's hard to make that happen. And then when your flight's delayed, for two hours, and it's circling St. Louis until the pilot says, well, now we don't have very much gas, so we're going to go to Kansas City, and we're going to sit there for a little while, and then we're going to fly back. You're really nervous because you know somebody's going to shout it out. But I got through the entire experience, was within 30 feet of walking out the door, and didn't know how the game had ended. We got back really late because of storms, so the game's over. But I, I'm almost there. And as I'm walking out the door, almost out the door, a voice comes on the intercom and says, Baggage from flight 641 from Albuquerque arriving on carousel two. And the Blues won in overtime. <laughs> I wanted to go administer some Christian love <laughs> to whoever was doing that on the, on the microphone. And the place went berserk, and I went home and fast-forwarded to the overtime and watched it and said terrible things about that person for a while. But as we were in the parking lot getting in the car, I reached into my pocket and I pulled this out. I forgot that I had this in my pocket. I got this as a birthday gift two years ago. These are Bose noise-canceling headphones. I had the answer to my problem in my pocket. I just didn't take advantage of it. These, I put these on when I cut the grass. I can't hear the ride mower. These are really noise cancelers. I would have never heard that score if I just used what was right there in my own pocket. I think we spend a lot of time struggling with our faith and, and trying to apply Scripture to our lives in a way that almost forgets that by God's grace and through His power, we do have the answers in our hands. We will never be a perfect people before we get to heaven. That isn't the way our faith journey works. But we are called to follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives. You and I, if we, if we call ourselves believers in Christ, we're called to follow him in the way we approach our time. We're called to follow him in the way we parent our children or the way we respect our parents if we are children. We're called to follow him in the way we go about our work, whether it's our schoolwork our business. We're called to follow him in the way in which we allocate our resources. There isn't anything in my life that should fall outside of the lordship of Christ. But oftentimes it feels like such a struggle to me, but in those moments when, I, when I'm thinking about the struggle, it also dawns on me that perhaps I haven't spent the time and the effort and the energy actually following Jesus, actually spending time listening to him. Actually spending time praying to him and seeking his guidance. So while the Beatitudes are not an end-all be-all of what Jesus has said, they certainly are the, the power of uh, the word of God 
to impact our lives in a transformational way if we will take advantage of them. So we're going to continue looking at the Beatitudes this morning. We'll see how far we get. Uh, and if we, if we don't get through them, we'll, we'll pick it up again next time that we are together. But we, we want to take advantage of what is right here before us when it comes to following Jesus. And remember, the, the theme first for this is not to, to you know, become perfect people that never sin, but to become more and more like Jesus. The disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone, when fully trained, will be like the teacher. That's our goal, to follow Jesus and become more and more Christ-like. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read the verses we studied last week as well as the verses we're going to look at this week. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's, that's how far we got last week, and now what we're going to look at this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you would speak to your people gathered here. Whether we believe in you or not or trust in you or not, every one of us belong to you. You are the creator. You are the Lord. Uh, we are not outside of your authority. You are the ruler of all things. But those of us who, who have followed you, those of us who know a bit about you, also have begun to grasp and understand your goodness and your grace and your compassion and your mercy. Lord Jesus, you don't use your authority to oppress us. You use your authority to set us free. And in doing so, you call us to follow you, to be like you. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that that work would be done in our hearts and our minds this morning, regardless of where we are in our relationship with you. Maybe we're skeptical. Maybe we're not even sure that, that you're who you claim to be. Perhaps we've been walking with you for many, many years, and we've forgotten something of your glory and your beauty and your majesty. So we pray that you would meet with us, that you would help us understand what it means to be more and more like you. Because you don't just leave us here gathered together. You send us out into the world. You send us into, into homes and families and neighborhoods and schools and workplaces that desperately need your gospel. And, and until we apply it to our own lives, until we, we sit at your feet, we really don't have much to give. So I pray that we would sit at your feet this morning, that you would teach us. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to understand today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me remind you for a second, because uh, I'm sure you didn't commit it to memory, uh, the sermon in a sentence from last Sunday, because we're going to kind of stay on that road, but flip it just a little bit. Last Sunday, the top one is what we talked about. Following Jesus brings spiritual stability for disciples who abide in a transforming relationship with him. That's what Jesus is seeking to do, to transform us from the old self that had nothing to do with them and was not interested in following him, to following him and loving him because he's first loved us. So that's the spiritual stability that we're after. 
This week, what we're going to consider just a little bit different. As Jesus transforms the hearts and minds of his disciples, he gives them practical experience in following him. In other words, the way your life unfolds and the way my life unfolds is part of a blueprint that Jesus put into place that bring us into circumstances and situations where we have the choice every day, every moment of every day, to follow or to not follow. When you think about how you're going to handle your money, you have the opportunity to do that in a way that, that honors Christ and follows him or goes in a different direction. When you think about your relationship, if you're married, you think about how you're treating your spouse, how you're interacting with that person, you have the opportunity to follow Christ in that or you have the opportunity to go in a different direction. But Jesus gives us the experiences of life to give us the opportunity to trust him and to follow him. So as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, that's what we're asking is how to apply our faith to every aspect of our lives. We're going to look, hopefully, maybe not at all four, but we're going to try to get four, and we might only get three, and we're going to look at these four Beatitudes and see what they mean when it comes to following Jesus. The first one has to do with mercy, and the way we've entitled this is, what do you do or what do I do when you have the power to help? Every person in this room has the power to help on some level, even if you're a small child. I heard a mom tell me a story this morning uh, about one of, uh, of her children and a special thing they did last week that really warmed her heart. That's an opportunity to use your influence for someone else. We have the power to be merciful. Do we actually use the talents, the abilities, the power that we have in a kind way. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy means compassion to those in need. Mercy is not a feeling. Mercy is not an emotion. Mercy is an action built on a belief. So when you are compassionate to someone, so someone wrongs you. Someone is, is mean-spirited towards you. Maybe they gossip about you. And you learn about this, and you confront the person, and you now have the power to be compassionate to them. You can forgive them. It's not something you just think about. You have to, you have to voice the words, I forgive you. That is being compassionate to someone. Affordable Christmas is about being compassionate to people. The idea is that I have the opportunity to help. Whether it's giving of my time or my resources or my care, my life is going to be spent being merciful. And the, and the reason we do that, why? Is because we're following Jesus. We're following our God as he's merciful to us. Let's go back to Psalm 116 for just a moment. Listen to David talk about the mercy of God and his firsthand experience with it. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. <coughs> Excuse me. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The life of Jesus Christ that culminated in his death on the cross and ultimately his resurrection is a picture, it's a manifestation, it's a life lived out showing us God's mercy. Those who need mercy are all around us, including ourselves. If you can't think of a time when you've needed mercy, when you've needed somebody to be gracious towards you, you're probably not examining much more than the last five minutes of your life. 
if I look at, at, at the times when I need my coworkers, when I need my wife, when I need the people around me to be merciful to me, to be kind to me, they're, they're too numerous to mention. So it's not just that we exhibit mercy to others, but that we receive it when it's offered to us. The hungry, the sick, the emotional hurting, the outcasts, the, the folks that are all around us. Cindy was telling me some stories this week about parents of, of teenage students and, and the struggles they're going through and, and seeking to love their children well, but, but seeing their children struggle so terribly. And these are, these are people right here in our community. And my heart was just going out to them. I want to be a place where folks receive mercy where folks receive kindness. I want that to be part of my life and part of your life. The people that wrong us need mercy. Have they received it from you and me? That's probably one of the harder things to accomplish. When you know you're in the right and when somebody's done you wrong, you know that you don't deserve what you've been given and the, the temptation for revenge is, is really, you know, it's pretty sweet, quite frankly, to think about how you're going to get back at them because you didn't deserve what you just got. When, when you feel that way, when, when you have that experience, what you and I should do is go straight to the Gospels and remember these verses. Jesus says, uh, Luke's Gospel says this, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, that being Jesus, and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, wipe these people off the earth because I don't deserve this. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That should stir our hearts as disciples of Jesus. That, that, that causes me to want to bow my head in shame for every time I've held a grudge, for every time I've withheld a gift to someone, for every time I claim to be a follower of Jesus but have shown no mercy in my life. I read an article this week about World Vision, did a very interesting thing recently in, uh, in Guatemala. If you've ever been around uh, a Christian conference and people like have like booths where they're, they're, they're showing things that they're offering, uh, World Vision and Compassion International, if you go by their booth, you'll see all these pictures of these little kids, and they're all children that are growing up in poverty, and you have the chance to adopt a child. Cindy and I have had a Compassion International child. I think we're on like our fourth one. We've had one for years, and basically you give some money every month, and it makes sure that they have food and clothing and education, but you pick the child. And I, I, the child we have now, we've had for probably 10 years, but I remember kind of going through and looking and saying, oh, maybe, and I picked one. And I can't exactly remember why I picked them, but I did. What, uh, what World Vision did uh, a few months ago, down in Guatemala, they got 1,000 children together, and they called out, they called the sponsors, potential sponsors, they told them what they were going to do, and they got permission to do it. They went to the kids, and they had pictures of the sponsors. That's a flip, <laughs> right? And these little children that had nothing, living below the poverty line, got to pick who they wanted to support them. That's mercy. That's an act of dignity that those kids will never forget. And, and, and that's what the opportunity that's before you and me, to be merciful because we have received the mercy and the grace of Jesus. How, I, and I'm going to give applications we go through this morning, not save it for the end. Here's my application for this one. I would encourage you, I'm going to do this this week, make a mercy list. Make a mercy list, but, but, but don't get it wrong. The mercy list is not people in your life that need mercy. It's every act of God that's been merciful directed towards you, write that down. Whether you read it in the Bible or whether it's from personal experience or a combination of both. My guess is you're going to have a pretty thick notebook if you spend any time doing this at all. 
If you really stop to think about the mercies of God, they're too numerous to mention. Start making that list, praying over that list, that God would then take that mercy that's been given to me and let it flow through me to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to grow in being people of mercy. Second one we're looking at this morning is the sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity means a sincerity that is free from falsehood. It means being genuine. It means being real. It means being transparent. Uh, let me give you a couple of definitions from a couple different folks. John Stott, I've got two from Stott and one from Tasker in the middle there. Stott says it's a heart of righteousness rather than mere rule righteousness. In other words, what the desire of my heart is, is to be right with God. The desire of my heart is not just to act the right way so you think, oh, he's a good man of God over there. That Tom, he really loves Jesus. If I'm consumed with, with presenting something to you, that's what's truly in my heart. And what's truly in my heart, therefore, is what? Pride. If what I want for my heart is to be right with God, that's humility. That, that's having a need for God that only he can match. And that leads me to be a person who is single-minded, therefore, who is pure in heart. Tasker says, a single-minded who are free from a divided self. Are we not tempted to be divided every day? God says, here's the pathway to go, but the world goes, oh, this is a better pathway. You should take this one. Whether it's about money or sex or career or whatever, the world has a very distinct way they want to do things, and God says there's a different pathway. And you, the, the temptation to be divided is before us moment by moment, day by day, so we pray for a pure state of heart that God will let us be single-minded towards him. Another quote from Stott, he says, it's the public and the private transparency before God and man. Wow. Don't we long for that? And doesn't that just, if we're honest, scare us to death? Because we know what everybody else doesn't know, right? We know what's in our heart. I don't know everything that's in your heart. I, I, I don't know probably a, a billionth of what's in your heart unless you share it with me. But I know what's in my heart, and it's not very pretty sometimes. In fact, quite often, it's not very pretty. But I long for an undivided heart that's committed to Christ. So how do I get there? Well, let's talk application for a minute. The first thing I want to suggest, I have two suggestions. The first thing here is investing in purity. Investing in purity. Look at what David cries out and asks God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. The first thing David realized in this, this investment in purity is that he needs God's help. That he can't do it in his own strength and he can't do it in his own power. If you want to know what David did in his own strength and his own power, he committed adultery and then murdered the husband of the woman with whom he had committed adultery. That's what was in King David's heart. David couldn't be pure any more than you could be pure or I can be pure of heart. So David realized that and he cries out to God for his help. But then he goes on to say this in Psalm 119. He's going to invest by actually exposing himself to the truth of God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up in your, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I might not be divided against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. 
With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. All of that is from Psalm 119. David is investing his time and his energy. Can I, can I say this gently but, but with all sincerity? Put your phone down and pick up your Bible. It's going to help you a whole lot more. You keep looking for answers in your phone, you're not going to find them. All you're going to find is a continual uh, pressure to be better and greater and not let anybody really into your life to see what's really going on. But when you get into God's word, you're laid bare and you're exposed. Why? Because God wants to heal. Because he wants to bring redemption. Because he wants to create within you a pure heart. So invest in purity, but also be active in your avoidance of impurity. I love Proverbs. I, 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 Proverbs is, is, except for Revelation, Proverbs is probably my favorite book in the Bible because it's so stinking practical. It just looks at life and it calls it the way it is. And in chapter 7, Solomon is writing about an everyday experience that he observes. He says he's looking out the window of his house and he sees something. And he's talking to his son. Chapter 7 starts out, my son, and, and he's talking to his son about avoiding impurity. And he says this, I looked out the window, I looked through the lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, when? In the twilight, in the evening, at a time of night and darkness. What Solomon is observing is a young man that's about to get himself into a lot of trouble. With much seductive speech, she persuaded him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Now, we're going to stop there for a minute. Don't read the rest of those verses yet, okay? What's happening here is a young man is being tempted in a very normal way in, with sexual temptation. So, let's go back to our phones for just a minute. Parents, moms, dads, listen to me carefully. When you go to bed at night, 10 o'clock at night, until your children are 21 years old, I know you can't do it that long, but until they're 18, sleep with their phone under your pillow. They don't need it. It's only going to take them to a bad, bad place. And I'm not just talking about sexual temptation. Most of the bullying that happens over phones happens late at night. Your children are going to be abused in some way if they're allowed to be exposed to all this negative language, all this evil language 24-7. They're not going to like you for it. They're going to tell you you're unreasonable. They're going to tell you that nobody else's parents do it. Do it anyway. You're saving them. You're protecting them. You're caring for them because all of us, every man in this room and probably every woman in this room, can, it might not be this exact experience, but we can say, here's how I went down that road. I went down that road that ultimately almost killed my soul. For a lot of men, it is sexual temptation. I can't speak for women because I'm not a woman. But for a lot of us, we don't take the time to think about how to actively avoid impurity. And here's a young man. He's just being a young man. He's just, he's, he's just being what normal young men do. He's curious. And, and stuff's raging in his mind. And he's just thinking, maybe this, you know, I've heard about this. This could be a lot of fun. And all of a sudden, he finds himself right outside her door. And it's as good as over. Let's read the rest of it. All at once, he follows her. And as an ox going to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver and the bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. It's not just about investing in purity. It's about actively avoiding impurity. Those of us that travel on the road need to 
think of ways that we can commit ourselves to a life of purity and includes accountability with brothers and sisters in Christ. Wherever we are, whether we're at home, whether we're at school, whether at work, Satan is going to attack us with a variety of different messages, but one of them certainly is that impurity is a whole lot more fun than purity. A heart that follows the pathway of the world is a whole lot more fun than God calling us to an undivided heart. And yet we know in our heart of hearts that when that heart is not divided, when, when we're tracking with the Lord Jesus in those moments, maybe it's in a worship service, maybe it's when we're having our quiet time with our Bible, maybe it's sitting and watching a sunset with somebody we love, whatever it is, we know those moments that it's right. We know those moments when it's the very best. We need to understand this is not about an outside appearance, it's about an inward purity that we must pursue actively as we follow Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, because if you look, you will see God. Number nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peace in biblical terms means reconciliation, means being made right, means first and foremost being made right with God, and then secondly, being made right with our fellow man, taking that righteousness and applying it to our relationships. But let me tell you something, that's a lot of work. Peace just doesn't happen. Peace is something that, that takes effort. That's why it says, blessed are the peacemakers. Because to make peace, you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to get to work. You got you to deal with the reality of life the way it comes to you if you're going to be a peacemaker. I want to take us to Ephesians 2 for just a second. And I want you to look at all of these verbs and adverbs that describe the work of Jesus in making the peace. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It's exhausting to read. <laughs> Look at all that Christ Jesus has done for you. This is, this is the blueprint of his life, his ministry, his death and his resurrection. So all of this could be done in order that you and I could have peace with God. And in having peace with God, we could share that peace with each other. Blessed are the peace makers. Blessed are those who will work for the peace. So how do we do this? A couple of thoughts here. Making the peace begins with self-examination. Making the peace does not begin by pointing out to the people around you everything that they're doing wrong. Ivan Turgenev was a very famous Russian novelist in the 19th century. He was doing some self-examination one day and he wrote the following. I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. There's some honesty right there. I, 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 I can appreciate that. It scares me, but it's true. The best way to bring peace at 631 Nurk Avenue, where I live, and I know it's a terrible name for a street, but we're stuck with it is not to tell Cindy all the ways in which she needs to get her act together in order to serve me better. The best way for me, yeah, the women are laughing. Yeah, try that, Tom. Let's come back next week. Let us know how that went. Yeah, easy for you to say. Making the peace is me looking at my own sin 
and repenting of my sin and then confessing it to my God and confessing it to my bride. That's the, that's the pathway to peace in my home. And let me tell you something, that takes work because you have to be self-aware. You have to be praying that God would show you your sin. Try, try that prayer on for the next week. It was like, say, God, just show me, my, and just if you're married, just start with your spouse. Just show me my sin with my spouse. And then get out a pen and a paper and get ready to start writing. Because if you pray that, God will show you that. But then what do you do with that sin? Do you just go, well, marriage is over. I can't ever do this. This is going to be awful. Or do you take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to confess that to you. I'm wrong. I ought not be that way. I ought not think that way. I ought not say those words. I ought not act that way. And I need to confess that to you. And getting right with God. But you're not done yet. Now you got to go to that person. And you got to say, sit down for a second. Because if I tell you this while you're standing up, you're going to fall dead of a heart attack. And I don't want that to happen. I was wrong. And here's how I was wrong. I didn't care about your time. I was half an hour late. You told me to be home. You told me we were going to have dinner. You told me to stop at the store and get stuff. I didn't get that stuff, and I'm a half an hour later than that. And you know what? Quite frankly, I just cared more about me than I cared about you. Some of you, you said that to your spouse. They would drop dead of a heart attack. <laughs> right? They'd be shocked. But that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to be peacemakers, and that's hard work. It's hard admitting you were wrong. The only way you do that is when the Spirit of God really takes over your thoughts and your emotions and allows you to see the reality and lets you know it's a safe place because he's already forgiven you through the cross of Christ. That's why this is powerful stuff because of what Jesus has done for us. What's the other option? And by the way, when this, when this happens, I can only speak for our home, but I think it's true of every other home. When I've gotten more and more into this practice of naming my sin, of, uh, of, of claiming it, of asking God to forgive, and then going and specifically saying it to Cindy, what it is, and asking her to forgive me, what happens, the power of the gospel transforms both of our hearts. The, the argument's over. There, there's no more steam left in the room. What are you going to say to a person who lays their soul bare before you and asks for forgiveness, especially if it's the person you've chosen to spend the rest of your life with? You're going to say, I forgive you. That's the Spirit of God working in your heart. And the handful of times when Cindy has to come to me with a confession of sin, I can't wait to forgive her. I can't wait to make it right again because I know what Christ has done for me. What's your option if you don't go down that road? Well, it's appeasement. It's avoidance, which is based on fear. What if they may not react the way they should? i got to protect myself. God can't protect me. My problem is bigger than what he can handle. Ignores the fact that Jesus is actually Savior and Lord. And it takes no effort and it takes no work just to avoid all it takes you is getting up and walking out of the room and then living with the chill for however long it lasts until you finally just kind of move on to the next argument. But this is true not only in our marriages, it's true in our workplaces, in our schools, in our relationship with other friends. Appeasement, peacekeeping is of no value whatsoever. But peacemaking, even though it's hard and it's difficult and it's challenging, pays great dividends. So how do you apply this? By a mirror and look in it. That's the first step. I say that all the time. Actually, the mirror is the mirror of the gospel. Because when you look at the gospel, it tells you two things. It tells you that you're really pretty awful. It agrees with what Ivan said. But it tells you that God couldn't love you any more than he does because of what he's done in Christ. And that you do belong to him by faith. And you can experience his forgiveness and his grace. And therefore, you can be a peacemaker. That's how you look like your daddy. Why do you think they'll be called sons of God? Who's calling them sons of God? It's the people around them going, only people that, that, that look like God are people that can forgive unconditionally because only God can forgive unconditionally. The only people that can truly look at their sin for what it is and acknowledge it and confess it and ask for forgiveness are people that know that they've experienced that forgiveness and grace through Christ Jesus. Boy, they look a lot like their God. 
What would it be like if all over St. Louis people said, you know, I, I don't know what's going on at Green Tree Community Church, but they look an awful lot like God, and they weren't saying it in a, in a snarky and sarcastic way. They were actually dumbfounded that people like you and me would look like Jesus, and as they should be, because only by the grace of God is that possible. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I'll ask you the same question I ask every Sunday while we're in this sermon series. Do we really want to follow Jesus? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we bless your name this morning because this is only a reality in our lives if you are at work. The only way Tom Ricks is merciful is supernatural. The only way any of us are pure in heart in a day and age when purity is absolutely absent in every facet of our lives. The only way we're not divided is if you do a miracle in our hearts and our minds. Community insists that we be peacemakers, but it seems completely out of our reach unless you move in our hearts and our minds and you give us the security that we need emotionally, spiritually, and mentally of being true children of God because of what Christ has done for us. Lord Jesus, we claim we want to follow you. I pray that that is true, and I pray that you would grow that more and more in our hearts. To your glory and for our good, we pray in your name. Amen.